Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Monday morning. That's right, Labor Day. Other people are sound asleep. And what are we doing, PK? We're talking football. Yeah, it's not exactly digging ditches here, so let's not make this out to be the t- <laughs> you know, I've toughest guys dug, in the world. I've actually dug ditches. That was no fun. That was no good. <laughs> I'm out. Worst job I've ever had was a carpenter in the summer in Arizona. Ooh. And uh, that wasn't How fun. old were you for that? I, it was summer of going into freshman year in college. Yeah. So it was a little summer gig. I've said this many times. I paid for my own stuff. So whatever I, money I was going to come up with was going to come from me. So I did that. And I actually enjoyed the work, but the hours and the heat sucked. Brutal. But building stuff, because I'm, I'm awful with my hands. So it was real satisfaction to actually have something go right. Yes. And, you know, they showed you there was experienced guys uh-huh. and they showed me what to do. And I did it. So just to look at the end of the shift, which was you know, like 12 o'clock and to look back. Oh, I did that was was somewhat rewarding for me because I am not handy whatsoever. My parents bought a new an old house, but a new house to our family. And so we moved the summer between seventh and eighth grade. And we were in that house like two weeks, I think. And someone turned on the water in the morning and we, we moved in the summer in July. And so it's got to be like, I don't know, it's July 10th or 15th or something. And there's no water. I walk outdoors in the early morning and there's a geyser in the front yard. The water broke. It turned out and we were in the, we were out in the sticks. And so we had like uh, 150 yards from the water meter to our house. And so it went across the yard and down a hill and then parallel to this uh, um, easement, this private road to the other neighbors who are next to us. And... (laughs) And so the water, it was supposed to be in copper pipes. It had been buried in plastic pipe that wasn't supposed to be underground, wasn't supposed to be under pressure. (laughs) So it was a total building code violation. So we had to dig the whole thing up. 150 yards of trench, three feet deep. Brutal. I'm like 12, 13 years old. That's a long way. Yeah, that was a lot of work. It took weeks. Uh, Dad was a teacher, so he's out of school. We did it ourselves. Dug it all up and laid it all in, and he was handy. He could solder and do all that stuff, put down the pipe. It was crazy. But I hated it. Did not want to grow up to do that. No, thank you. All right, so now we're doing this. We're talking football. And Utah State Aggie fans would like to drop a big old no thank you to Friday night. So many good things happened. It was so entertaining, and they had the lead late, and it looked like they were going to win, and they messed it up and lost again. We've seen this movie before at Auburn. At Wisconsin, winnable games, and it didn't happen. Yeah, I thought last year Michigan State was a winnable Michigan game State, too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just inexcusable, man. Not he's uh, Jordan Love's not a senior, but he's a junior with a lot of experience, and that that the interception at the end there was just not good. And the play calling, I didn't like that play calling on the prior possession where they just basically ran three times. And I know Warren was having a nice game. But it didn't seem like with the pressure on that Utah State's defense was going to be able to stop Wake Wake Forest's offense. Sure enough, they got down to the one in like two plays. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they throw a ball over the top, and it's completed, and the guy dives at him and misses. And then, I mean, it was a good hustle to keep him from scoring, but it was, you know, 70-yard game. Yeah, and I thought maybe they might have just let him score to have more time. But it turns out time wasn't really that big of an issue. 
It's just so many mistakes, man, that they made. Yeah. They, they should have won that game. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, here's uh, Gary Anderson on the postgame show. Scotty G, of course, calling the games right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, The Zone Sports Network. Here's Gary and his postgame thoughts. Joining us now, head coach of the Utah State Aggies, Gary Anderson. And, Coach, uh, these games never get easier. This is a heartbreaker. What's the mood in that locker room right now? Uh, highly disappointed, obviously. Um, you know, it's uh, – 48 years and counting since we were able to get one of these games on the road against a Power 5 team. And we had a great opportunity again tonight, and uh, we didn't get it done. Um, the, these kids fought, battled. I mean, it's amazing. You lose your top three corners. All of a sudden, guys that have been a corner for two and a half weeks of practice are out there playing in the first college game that they've ever even traveled to, let alone a foreign position. Um, so it was... Uh, they were very, very disappointed. Um, I'm proud as hell of them. And it was a team that uh, we knew we were going to get into a physical fight with these guys within the run game. And I think as a run of the game went on, we actually wore them down a little bit in the run game. And uh, I think it was obvious down there at the end on the, on the goal line. Uh, those are those are three big-time stops. And they throw the ball up and they make a play. They have tremendous wide receivers, tall, long, uh, Great contested ball catchers. Showed up all last year. I mean, 14 is a fantastic player. Right? He, he's, he's special. He's special. Um, so it was a battle. We got some special players also. Did you expect that, Coach? I mean, you stopped him on a couple of different possessions with third and shorts. And again, at the goal line, three straight plays. Were you expecting them to, to throw out of that fourth and goal at that point? Well, it doesn't really matter at that point if you expect it or if you don't. If you don't load up the box right there, they're just going to check to it. And they'll just uh, run, it right, run it right in there and, you know, stopping them for a half a yard with a deleted box or even a six-man box with backers off the line of scrimmage is really not functionally going to happen so um you know, we were we were playing zero coverage and being aggressive and trying to get under their pads and you know, the young men did a tremendous job for three snaps on the fourth one they decided to uh you know get it out there and throw the ball so but uh, you know you can't play coverage on game on the line in that situation you got to play man-to-man coverage and those corners got to find a way to make a play and we got to find a way to help them make a play uh defensively did you make adjustments to slow down the running game or did guys just kind of figure things out and was the physical nature just take over a bit? Well, I thought Justin did a tremendous job. You know, you have to change a lot when your top three corners are out. Yeah. Um, you know, that didn't allow us. And then we also didn't know walking in here how we were going to be able to play man coverage against these guys. And, uh, you know, we found out after really after the first couple drives that that wasn't the best call. It would be a true mixer for us. And if we we're going to play man coverage, we were going to pressure at that point. And it's kind of what we went to. Um, I thought Justin did a nice job of adjusting to some odd front stuff, which was fantastic for us. It helped us in the run game. It kept those old linemen kind of on eggshells. I believe, and um, you know, they, this is a good team. They, they're they're going to get theirs, and we got ours. And um, so there was really good adjustments. The kids, I thought, handled the adjustments well. Uh, you know, but obviously, it's, it's 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 too many points at the end of the day. No one's no one that's uh, happy with the defense side of the ball when you, you give up that many points in any situation. But uh, you know, it was it was it was a grind with two, I think, really good football teams playing. No question, Coach. I'm curious, uh, on the second-to-last possession, when you got it inside the 50 and you had a third and three, did you give any consideration to maybe throwing in that situation where you ran it and burned their last time out? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, there was definite discussion. Um, and, we, you know, we thought about potentially, you know, po- excuse me, possibly throwing throwing in that situation. Uh, we can get over and look at the look that they had, and, you know, we didn't, we didn't believe it was quite a – uh, a zero look as it was. They did a nice job on defensive disguising, so we thought we'd potentially have a crease in there. And you know, every snap, and when you're playing against good coaches and good players, every snap's kind of a uh, 
you know, cat and mouse game. And, you know, their kids made a play. And, you know, it's uh, you look back and say now, yeah, boy, sure do wish we would have would have thrown it that situation. But if the kid would have dropped the ball or they would have tipped the pass, and we said, well, why didn't we run it? So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's always there's always those guessing games. And, you know, you look back, I look back at myself and say, well, you know, should have kicked it on the first field goal. Yeah, I mean, we should have done that. We should have done this. We should have done that. This game went back and forth so many times in so many different ways that, uh, you know, you uh, you, you got to be aggressive, and we're always going to try to be aggressive and never stop being aggressive. I guess that's the best way to put it. You know, on a uh, positive side, Jalen Warren was a man for you tonight. Jalen Warren's a great player. You know, this team has a lot of really, really talented players on it, I believe. And Jalen, it was great for him. Um, everywhere Jalen's been, he's been successful. And, you know, his first game here tonight, he was obviously – Highly successful and did a great job for us. And I don't know how many yards he had. I haven't seen the stats yet, but uh, he had a tremendous game. And um, it's just it's just a crying shame that we couldn't get that uh, victory for all those kids on this football field. And um, we'll keep fighting. Yeah, he went 19 carries for 141 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, that maybe speaks to how your offensive line maybe came of age here tonight. Well, I sure hope so. I told him that, you know. Um, I'm really, really proud of that offensive line. You know, four new starters battling, getting themselves back in a spot to be able to, yeah, it's, it's impressive the way they're able to run the ball. And they're, they're hurting in there right now, uh, just like we all are. With they, you know, they take full responsibility for that last snap. I'm sure they do, and any offensive lineman would in that situation to know that, hey, let's make a play. Um, but uh, this game will really, really help them, I think, as they continue to grow and develop and move forward, without a doubt. Coach, appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Go Aggies. There's Gary Anderson after the Aggies lose at Wake Forest. All right, when we come back, there was a lot of football, a lot of football to get to, a lot of results, not so much for our local teams. We were state played Saturday night, but for a lot of Mountain West, Pac-12 teams, for Tennessee, who BYU's got to play next weekend, and we will get to that next. The best and the worst. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Labor Day. It is time to break down all the college football games we saw. The Mountain West had a great weekend. The Pac-12 had a mixed bag of results there, depending on which school you're looking for. But they lost the big game, and it was a big old gigantic woulda, coulda, shoulda, PK. Oregon had a big lead, and it felt like it probably should have been one or two touchdowns bigger. They should have run Auburn off the field, and they still should have won the game. I mean, Auburn comes in with the three late scores to win it in the final seconds, but, man, that was a big old woulda, coulda, shoulda. They left a lot of points on the field early in that game. Oregon gag. You're playing a freshman quarterback on the other side. Nick's, I think his name was, for Auburn. And you've got Herbert, who's all that. And, you know, you got this great, phenomenal recruiting class, blah, blah, blah. You have those, that team on the ropes. You got to put them away. You just have to do it. And they didn't get it done. A huge fumble that was returned, 80 yards or whatever it was. And mistakes, man. It's why I'm looking at these teams that made mistakes. And I look at the Utes on Thursday. You know, they had a couple errors. You know, Josh Nurse taking up kickoff and at the inside the five and they missed a field goal and PAT but not stupid errors that become inexcusable and 
Auburn did it, and a bunch of teams continue to just shoot themselves in the foot when they have opportunities to win. So, yeah, Auburn didn't look all that good to me. Even if they would have won that game, I was expecting more out of them, and I didn't really see it. And then you look at the USC Trojans and JT Daniels done. It was obvious to me watching that, right? He looked so good on that first possession. And then when he got hurt, it didn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. So they're turning, unless they shuffle the depth chart a little bit, they're turning to a first-year freshman kid out of Phoenix, the Phoenix area, who was a high schooler, not a redshirt freshman, not like Sam Darnold, but a first-year freshman. That takes them, in my mind, the two possible contenders in the South against Utah would have been SC and ASU. And now both these guys playing freshman quarterbacks, first-year freshman quarterbacks, both these teams, wow, Utah, what a cakewalk. And then I don't know about Washington, Washington State. You know, they had nice wins, but level of competition. Can't really read into them. They're going to be tough. You're going to have to play well when you play Washington State at the end of this month and then when you go up to Seattle in the first weekend of November. So it doesn't matter who they played. You're going to have to play well to beat those Well, I always thought those were the two toughest games on the schedule. I had a lot of confidence for Utah going to USC. Now, obviously, it looks on paper like that just got easier. Uh, you go down there and you make a few mistakes, it won't be that easy. But I always thought that the, the Cal game, the USC game, and the ASU, that was on the second tier in terms of difficulty. Different people can rank them, whether they're three, four, five, whatever. Yeah. But, but I thought Washington and Washington State were the two toughest games. They figured to be the two most complete games. And there are two coaches there who seem to know how to game plan for Utah, who've had a lot of success. Kyle got the one win off Chris Peterson a couple of years ago, but – he hasn't, he hasn't beaten Leach and Washington State in the last six years. They're on four. All those teams scare me from the Utah perspective. A team like Arizona in the end of November in Tucson, I was there in November when the Utes rolled that, and they got beat, and they shouldn't have been beat. Now, Arizona's not going to win the division, right. but it's not about winning the division that Saturday in November. No, it's it, about a one-off or they yeah. get that day. Yeah. So I am curious, uh, most disappointed fan base now. You got the USC fan base, which probably went in with really low hopes, and they've now gotten lower. You got the Oregon fan base, which went in with high hopes. It's now lower. But how about the Florida State fan base after that loss to Boise State, giving up 23 in a row? Oh, man. And Boise State's got a freshman quarterback. I know. He and he threw good. for 407 yards. He cut him up. And I heard about this kid and that Utah was in on him a little bit, and they would have loved to have gotten him. But obviously he goes to uh, Boise, and, yeah, I'm not so sure Florida State. I know they're a name brand. But but they have, might be 5-7 yeah, and seven yeah, following yeah, it up with a 4-8. and eight. What have they done? You know what I mean? I know, but when they have that big lead they at home at halftime, you think that'll win the game. And still they might end up just being a 6-6 six and six team. I get it. But – 31-13, I was off channel surfing looking for other games. <laughs> I was not ready for a Boise State comeback. I had seen the end of the Nevada comeback the night before. I mean, it's Purdue, and, and who or what is Purdue? But 20 unanswered and a walk-on kicks a 56-yard field goal as time runs out? I mean, that is just high elevation. Oh, okay. Wyoming taking down uh, Missouri. You've been there. You must have had flashbacks when you saw those fans storming the field. 
I was flipping off on that game because I've always had a little soft spot in my ha- uh, my heart for Wyoming because it's Laramie and it is a forsaken place. But the people up there always treated me very, very well. And, and so, you know that the football team means a lot to them. So yeah, to get yeah, a win, they, got. they don't get a team like Missouri coming in very often. Right. And so when they do, can they take them out? And they did. They made a bunch of big plays. They actually had kind of a similar play to what you were talking about with uh, you know Oregon. I think it was 14-3, and Oregon's knocking on the door to score again. It's going to be 21-3, and instead there's the fumble, and they go 80 yards the other way. And right before the half, they had a uh, – a fumble and recovered it and the time runs out while the kids run in the end zone and I think it was the quarterback actually maybe it was the running back but I think it was a quarterback who caught him but he faced his face mask so they tacked a play on and they kicked a field goal mm-hmm. I mean it was that was a crazy game yeah good for the Cowboys makes it a little tougher for Utah State but I mean you can't have a bunch of crappy you can't you can't play 10 lousy teams on your schedule I mean what's the point of that so Wyoming Boise State and Utah State show well on two of the three win on, in that division, and then the other division, Fresno State, they looked okay. Maybe they'll get better over the course they of the will. season. Yeah, they'll get better, sure. In that loss, I mean, their quarterback throws a pick in the end zone at the end of the game. Uh, you know, I, I disagree with you on SB, what? SC's low expectations. I don't think they were low. Oh, really? No. You think the USC fans are still thinking we're going to get this done? I think. Because I think a lot well, of them think they're not going to get it Before the Daniels injury. Before the Daniels injury, mm-hmm. I think they had low expectations because a lot of them don't believe in Clay Helton. He will mess this up. He'll go 7-5 and five and we'll have to fire him. Yeah, but that's two different things. I, their expectations are always high. They got a bunch of studs running around on that field. And they think they still believe that they're going to do it. And an SC fan never doesn't believe he's going to do it until it's conclusive. And at the start of the season with this new offense, and they look good in their first series, as I said, and they're throwing the ball around. They've got a bunch of stud receivers. They're still going to win some games. And it might be you. And when I say you, I'm not talking about. It could be Utah. It could be BYU. Yeah. It could be somebody else. It could be Stanford this could weekend. could be me. Did you watch the Stanford game? Yeah. That was a defensive struggle, unlike anything we normally see in college football. 17-7. Well, Costello goes out. And I thought, so and, and boy, I put it out on Twitter, and I got a lot of blowback. What? I thought that was clearly, I thought the replay ref completely botched that. I thought that was obviously targeting. That was a forum to the head of a quarterback who given himself up and was sliding. I, I get you, but I would like to see where there's an opportunity to make it. Uh, not allowable, but if you can give the benefit of the doubt of the d- defensive player, do it. Because I still think that the penalty is too harsh. Ejection, and then depending on which half, out the next week. And I get that part of it, but how is it not 15 yards? Fine, yeah. I mean, I'm not arguing grief. that. Good grief. I mean, I don't but know. But there's been all sorts of inconsistency. Kyle oh, I agree. Whittingham has talked yeah. about that at length. Yep. I The thing is that I have some uh, – I have some sympathy for the referees when it's a receiver who's ducking because and the target's moving and then the defensive back hits him. And I don't he think gets defense, low. Yeah, and the defensive back isn't trying to hit him in the head. But when a quarterback's sliding, that to me seems a little more clear cut and we shouldn't be having problems there. And that was clearly a forearm to his chin. And that was just a braced forearm. I mean, a college football player is strong. A linebacker or a strong safety, that is a weapon coming in. That's just It makes next week's game between Stanford and SC awfully intriguing if Costello can't go. 
And I don't know. Awfully if he, hard to predict, too. Yeah. And I would take Stanford, I think, because I think their defense is probably all that. Uh, yeah. Well, just based on one game, though. I know. I mean, I know. So I agree. It's hard to pick. It's hard. And, to pick. and I'm not sure Fresno couldn't beat Northwestern. Tedford's got it going on. So you got to tip your hat to him. He's got it going on there for sure. So I don't know necessarily where I'd go this week with that game, but whoever wins it is going to have a level of momentum. And even if it's SC, if they win it with this freshman quarterback, that gives them momentum going into BYU week three and Utah week four. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely it does. And then you talk about BYU and, and Tennessee. That just ratchets it up, the pressure. Ratchets up the pressure, man. Tennessee, you lost to Georgia State. Who the heck's Georgia State? And so now BYU, you've got to go back there and get it done. This very well could be, I don't know, but it could be your best chance of the four. Uh, we speak about this four-game se- uh, stretch. the season, yeah. And uh, get it done because you get it done. And maybe we look back when we get to November, well, Utah was all that. And they just did what Utah does. They just wear you down and they don't make mistakes and they beat you. And you made mistakes. You, you gave them, not you didn't give them, but they capitalized for the tune of 17 of points right. off of your turnovers. So I watched a, a big chunk of that Tennessee game once the, it was out that Tennessee was in trouble. I think it was 14-14 when I picked it up. And uh, – the thing that stayed with me is that Georgia State had no problem running the ball. They ran inside. They ran outside. They were pretty good in the passing game, too. Uh, the Tennessee defense just like it was, looked like it was a mess. And for BYU, I think job number one is to give the ball to Tyson Williams and run right at Tennessee, and let's see if they can stop it. Because off what I saw against Georgia State week one, the answer is no. They should be able to run the ball. Williams' stats were good considering he's only given seven carries. Off what we saw against Tennessee, he's got to have a 20-carry game. Yeah, I think that I said this earlier in my preseason prediction. I believe they win the games that he can find a way to get 100 yards. Now he was woefully short of 100 yards against Utah, and now he's seven carries, and he was okay, but seven carries is nothing. Right. So you've got to really increase it, and I'll be interested to see what they do because they had told me in the offseason with Zach Wilson being what they believe he is, that they feel like they would throw the ball a lot more this year than they did last year. And sometimes, you know, you go into it and you think you're going to do one thing, but you got something else that works. That's part of coaching. you got to be uh, willing and able to say, okay, well, we thought this, but over here this might be the way to go, particularly with this kid, if this kid can do it. So I'm really curious to see, as you say, how many carries are they going to give him? Seven, not good enough. I don't think they beat Utah if they gave him 20. But it's not about beating Utah anymore. That game's over. It's about winning the games that are ahead of you, starting with Tennessee this week. And if they runs the way I think that he can run off what we saw and how good they were running the ball in the first half against a Utah defense that we think is really good and a front four that we think is really good, then they ought to have success here. Tennessee ought to have to play an extra defender in the box. And now you're letting your sophomore quarterback throw against man-to-man coverage, and you can make his life a lot easier and give a chance to be really successful. I think, I think yeah. Tennessee is set up for some BYU players to come off that field feeling really good about themselves. Well, we'll see. Right. I mean, it's up, up if, to the if Cougars. If they don't, then, they're, then they're, they're like, wow, Georgia State beat these guys and we didn't, and now we got to go home and play SC. Oh, good grief. <laughs> that <laughs> So that's out there, too. Paints an extremely negative picture, right. for sure. But uh, 
man, Tennessee, it looks like you can run the ball on them, and that should simplify everything. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More on the Utes and Cougars, talking with Kyle Gunther, his takeaways, next. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Hey, we had Kyle Gunther on the show Friday. Some of the time references in the interview is going to say last night, but he's talking about the game Thursday night. But he had a lot of strong opinions about what he saw from the Utes and Cougars. And having played for the Utes and knowing how Kyle Whittingham thinks, it's really good to hear from him. So here's Kyle Gunther with PK and I. Time to talk rivalry game with Kyle Gunther. Former Utah offensive lineman Kyle joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I hope uh, you guys enjoyed the rain delay. Did you guys stay up? Uh, what time did you guys get to bed? I got to bed about 3. I didn't go to the <laughs> game, so I got to bed earlier. It was about uh, 1.15. Well, you're the hardest working man in show business, anyways, DJ. You got about five jobs there. Uh, man, what a wild finish. Uh, how appropriate. Uh, it's such a weird way to end a weird rivalry there. The rain delay, the lightning. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was all in all a very strange and, and somewhat typical rivalry game, other than the fact that it was somewhat of a blowout. We, we hardly see a game won by more than a score. And, you know, whatever you want to call last night offensively and defensively the Utes won in blowout fashion which is pretty rare can they replicate playing that way over the next 11 games uh they didn't need to open it up they got the you know the big plays from the defense and all that do you have confidence in moving up you still have question marks there when you look big picture what do you think I have questions about the drops for the youth. The wide receivers and the tight ends having drop issues, that's a team stat. Sometimes the ball is thrown behind the receiver. Sometimes they just drop it. But that's a concern because it's been a common theme for the last couple of years. Uh, but overall, yes, Utah can replicate that because they just ran the football right up the gut. They did exactly what we thought Andy Ludwig was going to do. Andy Ludwig did something that apparently the last coordinator never figured out, and that was just give the ball to Zach Moss. He should have 30 carries a night, every night, and the Utes can win 10 or 11 games. Uh, Overall, Utah's defense showed more playmaking ability than I expected. I mean, by my count, I think they dropped two interceptions. It may have been more. You know, they had the two pick sixes, but uh, that's been Utah's M.O. for 20 years, is the defense creates a big play when the team overall needs it. And the offense builds off that. I thought it was a very Kyle Whittingham-esque win. And now nine in a row, you know, Tyler Huntley said BYU is poo-poo afterwards. I don't know if, uh, if that's the type of language that we want to start incorporating here. <laughs> this is a family atmosphere. But whether or not he thinks BYU is poo-poo, it's been nine in a row, man. And uh, I'm not sure this Utah team, regardless of how much talent they lose, they don't look like they're primed to lose to BYU anywhere in the near future. 
Yeah, I can't really disagree with any of that stuff. And DJ and I have been debating this so far, and you came on my side, so I'm glad to see that you're correct, that <laughs> the the style of manner in which they won the game is how they're going to win those 10, maybe 11, 12 ball games this season. It's not going to change. And this is who they are. It's like I, I compared it to... Well, you know, do they can they can they go down the field throwing the ball? It's like asking Washington State run out the clock with eight minutes to go and do it via the ground. Just, they're not going to do it. It's just, it's not who they are. And if they get behind, if the Utes get behind and they've got to throw the ball a bunch, well, they're going to be in trouble. But the the goal obviously is to not get behind where they have to throw the ball a whole lot. And really, looking, I don't want to go too crazy because it's just one game, and it doesn't. I don't take any pleasure by saying this, but it was against an inferior opponent. And they're going to face tougher games. There's no question about it. Better opponents. But I do think exactly what you just said, and I'm just basically amplifying it here, is that this is the manner in which, if they're going to go to the Rose Bowl, this is the way they're going to do it. There's going to be no other way. Well, Gary Anderson once said that if you can't stop the run, you'll never have to worry about stopping the pass. And it didn't feel like at any point last night BYU was able to tackle Zach Moss. And so the Utes never ended up trying to throw it down the field. Now, they had a couple of big-time drops. And maybe Damari Simpkins had that ball tipped, but uh, Fotheringham had one, Keithy had one. Those drops really affected things because at least the, the Brant Keithy one, he, that was a play that would have been a huge momentum swing. And then the very next play, he whiffed and just wet the bed there. And, yeah. and frankly, a lot of the problems on Utah's offense, yet again, were caused by tight ends just being out of position by one step. And when you miss the block as a tight end on the backside, it can really screw a play up. But tight ends have always been an enigma at Utah because they're kind of the redheaded stepchild. Everybody loved Jake Murphy when he was there. But can any fan name you the tight end before or after Jake Murphy? It's just, it's Urban Meyer's fault. He showed up and told the tight ends to get out. He didn't need him in the offense. And ever since then, the youth, even though they use tight ends, they just haven't quite been able to find that panache with that group there. But, yeah, you know, there, there were issues with the youth offense last night. I thought they, they struggled at times early on at guard. And I still think the youths are going to make some adjustments at guard. I saw uh, Johnny Maia. I saw Paul Kawala in there, Braden Daniels. I, I still think Nick Ford should move into guard. And then that'll open things up there inside. But uh, no, overall, this is a it's a non-conference opener for the youth. I know locally we love the rivalry, but Kyle Whittingham's job is to win the Pac-12 South and then win the Pac-12 and go to the Rose Bowl. Winning a non-conference game is great, but the youth. Uh, what, what did Tyler Huntley average? Eight yards a throw last night. No he was less. Being very conservative. L- less than that. Yeah. Six and a half. Oh yeah. I mean, again, math's not my thing. But uh, he he was a guy that was clearly trying to be conservative. Man, I tell you, the one negative was uh, I'm just covering my eyes watching Tyler Huntley take these big hits. He he and Zach Wilson, they just won't slide. And uh, I think Zach Wilson at one point last night tried to juke at one last minute. He got popped for it. I never want to see a quarterback get hit. Just slide. Sacrifice the four yards. 
I know, but Tyler Huntley's a competitor. It's, it's in the heat of the moment out there, but that was really my only true concern. I'm not concerned about Utah's drops. I'm not concerned that they didn't open up the offense. This was a non-conference uh, opponent that they were beating handily. But, yeah, Tyler Huntley needs to not take any more hits. I don't want to see one grass stain on that jersey. Kyle Gunther joining us here, former Utah offensive lineman. The Utes ran the ball, I thought, much better in the second half than the first half. Zach Moss felt like, uh, he said in the postgame, that his last carry, he had that big gain on their last possession in the first half. They were backed up at their own 5 or 10 or whatever, and uh, he broke a long run. There was a penalty on the end of it and got him out to midfield. And even though it didn't lead to points, he said that changed the way he felt. And then they ran it, ran it better in the second half. Was that... Utah's offensive line getting better over the course of the game, or was that BYU's defense getting beaten down from A, being on the field a lot, and B, seeing the BYU offense give up points and seeing the game get away? Well, yeah, I think it's the latter. I think BYU's defense wore down a bit because depth has been a concern, and, and that was a question that a lot of us had before the game. But also, I believe the Utes put in Paul Tawala there. They may have made an adjustment on the offensive line. Uh, this is Brayden Daniels' first start, and the young man was a three-star recruit a couple of years ago. He's about 250 pounds, came in to play guard, and all of a sudden, the Utes see him, and he's got this high waist. He's got long legs. He can bend. They put him at tackle a year ago. He got up to about 290 pounds, and he was a backup tackle at one point. So they kicked him inside to guard this year, and I thought he was a little passive early on uh, when he's pulling around. I thought he was looking for bodies instead of just trying to see the opposite color and knocking somebody ass over tea kettles. And I, I thought he developed a little better strength and technique in the second half. But also, that's what Andy Ludwig loves to do. He loves to figure out what will work in the first half. And in the second half, you know, you can call it adjustments, but sometimes Andy Ludwig will say, we're averaging four yards a carry on this counterplay. We're going to come out and run it again. Uh, you know, in poker, if you have a full house, you don't have to bl- uh, bluff. I mean, you just play the good hand. The Utes have a good hand. It's a big offensive line, and it's Zach Moss. I know PK thinks, you know, Benjamin's the best running back in the conference. Zach Moss shows Country, night, country, Kyle, country, country, Kyle, well, country. Including the NFL. What did he have, 300 carries last year? And that's the thing. Uh, I think Tyler Huntley had 20 less carries than Zach Moss last year. It's a shame. It, it's, uh, Zach Moss was robbed last year by not getting the ball more. So I'd like to think if Zach Moss had 300 carries, he'd be competing. But, uh, you know, Eno Benjamin and Zach Moss together are by far the two best backs in the conference. And that's what Ludwig set out to do in the second half. He said, we're not going to throw bubble screens to Britton Covey. We're not going to run reverses. Just keep giving the ball to Zach Moss and break a team's will. And they did. That drive, that score to start the second half gave Utah all the momentum. And then, yeah, uh, uh, it was uh, Julian Blackman there on the pick six. I mean, that was the nail on the coffin there, the second defensive score for the Utes, which is that the ninth defensive score now in the last – nine games. It's some ridiculous stat. The Utes just love to score on defense. So it's clear they're going to be 3-0 when they go into SC, and so they can use these next two games to iron it out. But it basically looks like, judging from what Kyle said, they're going to use these next, uh, certainly this next game, as basically a tryout for the place kicking. How much concern do you have there? Personally, none, because I never pay attention to kicking. But, yeah, as a, if you're a fan of the Utes, you've got to be concerned that 
the Scratch monster who showed up from UCLA. He whiffed last night. I don't know who the backup was, but I know he came in and he, he false started on his first kick. They didn't call it, but he, he definitely false started. There's a lot of nerves out there. It's, for some of these guys, for Ben Lennon, the punter, these kickers, this is their first time being under that kind of pressure. And pressure, it, it creates diamonds, and it also affects a lot of us. You get that dry mouth. Your palms start to sweat. You know, it's, And you, you realize, wait, am I nervous? What's going on? And it affects your athletic performance. It's so cliche, but it happens in the NFL even. These kickers get the yips, and I'm sure Kyle Whittingham is – furious about that and that's the type of guy that wit is he's not going to verbally abuse you after that but he's also not going to show up after a, a 30 to 12 victory and tell the team you guys got to figure it out you guys are the he's me that was great no he's going to light you up for a couple of missed tackles on defense a couple of dropped balls on offense a couple of dropped picks on defense and then the kicking situation which yeah the youth missed a field goal an extra point i mean think about how much momentum that costs the youth as well so those types of mistakes will not hurt you against BYU or NIU or Idaho State, but you're not beating USC on the road by missing field goals. So, yeah, that is going to be the modus operandi over the next couple of weeks is trying to figure out which one of these kickers wants it. And if none of them are good enough, then cut them both and go find some soccer player from East High School or SUU, UVU. I don't care anymore where these kickers come from. The punters have to all come from Australia and pro kick Australia, and they'll do that. But get a kicker anywhere. Just get one with some lead in their pencil and get out there and make a kick. Maybe the maybe the Women's World Cup team, huh? Yeah, they were talking about that. Uh, and uh, I have no problem with that. I'd love to see. I don't care who they are. Man, woman, child, just get somebody in there who isn't going to be freaked out by it. That's what makes a great golfer is when it comes down to it in your short game, you can make that putt when the pressure's on. That's why my family is known as the three jackers. We have never once putted less than three times because the pressure affects us. I hear you. Been there, (laughs) done that. All right, so is there uh, something you can uh, get out of these games going forward, something you want to see from these next two games that you're going to learn? Uh, I mean, the way, the way they struggled with Bushman, is he just really good? And that, you know, six catches for 60 yards, it wasn't that awful. It's not like he had a 150 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, was there anything, anything out there you think you're really going to learn in these next two games? Well, for BYU, I want to see them get a little more aggressive defensively. Uh, I want to see Zach Wilson calm down a little bit. I, I felt like he was pressing, even though, you know, BYU was down a score, and I felt like he was pressing a little bit. Uh, for Utah, I, I want to see them shift around a little bit on that offensive line, and I, I want to see them figure out what the best combination is. I'd love to see Big Bam Olaseni in there, uh, and I, I want to see Solomon Enos be the number one wide receiver. Uh, I know Damari Simpkins and Tyler Huntley have a rapport, uh, I know you saw a year ago Jalen Dixon have some deep threat ability. I'm trying to think. I don't know if we saw much of Brian Thompson last night. Maybe I missed that. Maybe he's banged up or something. But I want to see Solomon Enos get more catches. A year ago as a true freshman, he showed up and he wasn't afraid of the moment. He had that amazing catch with the hand strength last night, diving out of bounds. I want to see Solomon Enos go up to the number one slot at wide receiver and see what that does. And I want Tyler Huntley to avoid any and all contact. Uh, Troy Taylor talked about this. Kyle Whittingham talked about this for two years. It didn't get through to him. 
And sometimes you just you can't take the stripes off a zebra. Tyler Huntley is a playmaker. He wants to win. He doesn't care about his body. And that is it's enviable. But the Utes are not going to win the Pac-12 overall without Tyler Huntley. And the Pac-12 South stinks, though. I told anybody who'd listen that UCLA was going to be an awful team a year ago. I said I don't buy into any type of hype. I don't think they're going to be any good this year. And UCLA sucks. DTR is no different than he was a year ago. Kevin Sumlin's a weirdo, and uh, I don't know what you guys made of, of your interview with him at Pac-12 Media Day, but he's just weird. He's too laid back, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to infer anything else. But he's very weird, and I don't buy into what Kevin Sumlin's doing anymore. Colorado's too far away. I think Arizona State is the biggest hurdle in the South for the Utes. I don't even think it's USC. So I think the Utes can essentially walk through the South. But they need Tyler Huntley to go to the Rose Bowl. And Tyler Huntley just has to realize you can't go head first against three defenders. So that's the biggest thing you got to see is Tyler Huntley's got to wake up because this team could be special if he's healthy. Throw the Cougars a bone here as far as anything positive. Well, Matt Bushman's uncoverable. And they're going to throw the ball to him a ton. I really thought BYU's offensive line played well. I thought they were going to be a good group. They played well considering Utah's got the best D-line in the country. And I'm trying to think, uh, Zach Wilson a couple of times had pressure, and he shouldn't have thrown that ball to Francis Bernard. You just got to know, when your knee is a quarter of an inch in the ground, just stop. Just take the sack. Uh, I thought Zach Wilson did a good job of throwing the ball out of bounds at times, which seems weird, but Travis Wilson never learned that for the youth. If he was facing pressure and no one was open, he'd gun a ball over the middle. And Zach Wilson is mature enough to realize, yeah, just throw it out of bounds and move on. But, you know, all is not lost for BYU. My goodness. They've got a good running game. They've got a great offensive line. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with that defense because maybe BYU secondary really was causing Utah some issues. On paper, that's a pretty good group in BYU secondary, but I think BYU is going to go on the road and surprise a team in Tennessee that's not been good for a decade. Uh, I think BYU is going to go down to the wire with USC. They're not going to beat Washington, but BYU needs to beat Utah State this year. That is a must-win game. You cannot lose. Would that be, they can't lose three years in a row to Utah State. So there's still a lot left for BYU, but what is the goal overall? They're an independent team. It plays this incredibly tough schedule. It's front-loaded every year. I mean, is the goal for BYU to win nine or ten games and then, what, go to the same bowl game as if you won six games? This is the problem with being independent for BYU is they're a good team this year. They're going to be an eight-win team, and it's just going to feel, at the end of the year, anticlimactic because there's no conference chase to root for. So for BYU, they're a good team. I'm, I'm not sure their current format will allow them to show it, but I think they go on the road next week and they beat the Volunteers. That would make them feel a lot better about themselves if they pull that off. Well, when do you guys think the next victory for BYU is going to be in the rivalry game? Because I think the Utes have eight NFL draft picks right now. I'm not talking about NFL players. I mean draft picks. This is an elite Utah team this year. You're talking about most of that D-line. I think there's three D-linemen that will go to the league. I think there's one or two defensive backs. I think there's, uh, you know, Zach Moss, obviously, on offense. Maybe uh, there's a couple of other question marks. Probably Darren Paulo gets in the mix there. Maybe I'm forgetting a couple of names. But 
So the Utes are going to lose eight guys to the NFL draft. Zach Wilson's going to be a junior next year. I think on paper that sets up to be a, a great opportunity for BYU to get a win there. But I feel like BYU could win 10 games this year, but if they lose to Utah, it still won't feel like a successful year. they got to get over that hump. These two teams are forever tied, and to make it even worse, it doesn't feel like the game matters more to Utah. It's not like you know, every year they lose, the game matters more to BYU, and I feel like it matters less to the Utes. Again, going back to Tyler Huntley, you know, very few guys in the history of this rivalry have had the cojones to get up there and talk trash after the game, after a win, after the loss. I can remember the whole, um, I'll be making 50 grand and they'll be pumping my gas. Uh, I can remember, obviously, Max Hall's comments, which whether you think he was correct or not, it's, it's pretty gutsy to get up there and say a whole organization is classless. And then Max Hall lied about having beer thrown on his family, which never happens. As a guy who's regularly snuck beer into football games, the last thing I'm going to do after tucking that thing in my armpit for six hours is dump it on innocent women and children. So I always thought Max Hall lied about that, and he did. Uh, but, you know, the Austin Collie comment, which I think that was a, a PK original, correct? You know, that was just it's one of the stranger comments in the history of sports, but it makes the rivalry what it is. I wish Tyler Huntley would have gone full curse word last night because calling somebody poo-poo is, is very weird. And, uh, you know, he was caught up in the moment. So my point is I'm happy there's a little bit of smack talk, but my six-year-old, uses those types of words. It does make him laugh, though. So I don't know what word he should have used, but I do like that there's a little bit of smack talk, maybe a little bit of vitriol here. we never going to lose it, don't they? they so poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It'll live forever. <laughs> I don't want to get called poo-poo, but, yeah, it's, that's a weird one. I, I don't think that's going to go down in infamy the way that uh, you know Austin Colley's comments did or, or certainly Max's comments. All right, we appreciate the time, Kyle. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great rest of your day. There's Kyle Gunther with PK and I. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.